Hour number two of Arizona Sports Saturday, live from the Action Community Studios. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry back behind the glass. Is Kevin Durant going to be the newest Phoenix son? I just spent five minutes telling you why DeAndre Ayton's probably going to be his son, or why that's probably the most likely scenario. So let's throw that out and just sign and trade him to the Nets instead. How's right. that sound? Let's uh, <laughs> let's at least talk about the possibility. All right, let's do it. I feel like it's the most talked about rumor right now, right? Surrounding the Suns. Kevin Durant, the individual, Durant. I think is the most talked about NBA rumor. Okay. Next to Kyrie Irving, of And course. he's under contract. Four He's not more. a free agent. What's what's the expression that all politicians use? Four more years. Or you know what you get from KD? You get four years. Yeah, but can I read you the salaries? That's fine. Go ahead. This upcoming season, forty three million. Which would make him is would that make him the highest paid on the Suns? Chris Paul's making around there. Yeah. The following year, forty six and a half million. That eclipses Paul. The following year, fifty million. That definitely eclipses Paul. The last year of his deal at age 37, 53.3 million. And that eclipses Robert Sarver. <laughs> uh, and let's not forget that Devin Booker is eligible for a Supermax extension, and he's currently on the final year of his current deal. Okay, so there's a couple things that make a deal for Durant difficult. Number one is it would have to be in some sort of DeAndre Ayton deal. Mm-hmm. And because Durant's contract is about $43 million this next season, and Aiton's will ah, roughly, we were we were ballparking around 30 mm-hmm. You're going to have to throw in some other contracts to match, because yes. that's how the NBA works. So contract matching, salary matching will be difficult. That's number one. Yep. Number two, as Gambo has reported several times, it's going to probably take a three-team trade to get Aiton out of town to get what you want in return. Mm-hmm. Because there's going to need to be picks involved, and this team doesn't need picks. And there's probably going to have to be a bunch of salaries moving around. This team has a couple. They've got some salaries on their books. Can I throw a hypothetical third team that needs picks? Okay. The Lakers. See, I don't I don't think the Lakers are gonna want picks. I know they don't have many picks, but they will wrong. certainly take Kyrie Irving away from the Nets, which means it allows Kevin Durant to go wherever he wants to. Yeah, but the thing if he forces the, the Nets hand. The things that the Lakers have to offer in return are Westbrook. Who wants Westbrook? And that's another forty plus million dollar contract. It's steep. Yeah. It's and they're steep. rumored to want Kyrie Irving. Do they really want draft picks if they're going after Kyrie Irving? I, that doesn't really add up to And me. they're probably gonna pay Kyrie like a mid level exception deal too. Another if thing, that's what he sacrifices. Another thing that complicates the Durant uh move is positionally he fits the same position as Mikel Bridges, mm-hmm. as Cam Johnson, as Jay Crowder. So you would probably have to move at least two of them, I'm guessing, in order to make a deal work for Durant. That's not an issue, I guess, but it's, uh, but look, it's something to think about. If you're moving off of DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Durant becomes the tallest player on the floor. Yes. Seven feet tall, or 6'11", whichever you choose. He can just do the tip-offs. You don't have you to, want sacri- him to play a uh, small ball center on well, the Suns. He's not that small. If they're looking for scorers and they're not valuing the center as much... I mean, currently, the Phoenix Suns have zero centers on their roster. Zero. Bismarck Biombo's a free agent. JaVale McGee's a free agent. Dario Saric, coming back from injury, is only a power forward, naturally. I could and see I mean, B- outside of that, he's only 6'9". I could see Biombo coming back for a reasonable price. He knows the Pope. That's a big deal. That's true. Did you see he met with the Pope this week? Yeah. It was, I, a, big, it was a big deal? I saw a rumor this week that the Pope was resigning... And then the next day, I saw Biombo had a meeting with the Pope. Probably because he wanted to see him before he resigned. Maybe. maybe. 
The Pope wanted to see Biumbo. That's true. That's what's crazy about well, it. Biz- Bismack is a is a very well noted humanitarian. Yes, especially with the way he took his salary from this past season and donated it to his home country to help build a hospital in his father's name. Like yeah, it is a very hospital. great humanitarian story. Of course, I would want to meet him. Yeah, if pope, I was the, the pope. pope, the pope should want to meet with him. Anyway, I could see him coming back to the Phoenix Suns. That would be really awesome. Okay. I think he earned it too. But those are the things that make this difficult. Oh, here's a fourth wrinkle that I forgot about for a second. Kevin Durant is 34 years old. We mentioned has four years left on his contract. Mm-hmm. Those are at ages 34, 35, 36, and 37 is when mm-hmm. he'll make $53 million. He's not the healthiest player in the world. Well, as you get older, you start to deteriorate a bit. I However, mean, we see that with everybody. We saw it with LeBron. However, I'm still going to make the argument that I know exactly what I'm getting from Kevin Durant. The dude who will literally score over anybody from anywhere. And can literally impact a game night in and night out. That's all I want. So here, I'm going to throw two scenarios at you. One, I think, is what everybody would love to see happen, and one is the one that we might have to be realistic about. Okay, hit me. The one that I think everyone would do is DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson for Kevin Durant. I don't even know if the salaries match there, but let's assume that that's like the core of what they'd have to give up. I think most people would do that, right? Yes. Because you feel that what you're getting from Durant is significantly better than Cam Johnson. He makes up most of that uh, shooting percentage that Cam has from outside. Um, You lose Aiton, of course, that's going to hurt a little bit. And then Uh Jay Crowder, we've heard this week, it was reported even that uh, they would move Crowder for the right deal. I think Kevin Durant would be the right deal, if anything. Yep, I can agree to that. Okay, so that's a feasible one that people would do. What's more realistically the ask from the Nets is Bridges. It's Bridges. Maybe in place of Crowder, maybe in place of Johnson. I mean, that's probably the... the most intriguing asset that no other team would be willing to offer is the under 25 two-way versatile wing. And he's kind of a unicorn. There's not, I mean, he was what, top three or top five in Defensive Player of the Year voting. Mm -hmm. He's the only wing that was really considered. I mean, you talk about like a a Giannis, you talk about uh, Jokic, you talk about, well, Marcus Smart won the award. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a guard. Mikel Bridges in a wing league right now. This is a wing league. The yeah. league is run by wing. In fact, Kevin Durant himself tweeted that like yesterday. He was like, this is a wing league. Yeah. And so I'm going to take his word for it. And you've got the one, the best wing defender in the entire league in Mikel Bridges. Just dangle it in front of. On a pretty impressive contract. Just dangle it in front of Sean Marks. Make him bite. But that's, go after it. but that's the question, though. Are you willing to make that deal for Durant if it costs you Aiton, Bridges, and let's say Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson? Are you willing to do that? Look, I'll admit. Like, it's a big ass. It's not an easy thing to say, yes, I'm ready to just give up on Mikel Bridges for Kevin Durant, though. Like, it's Kevin Durant. It's 34-year-old Kevin Durant. It's 34-year-old Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant is still producing at a very high level. Like, he... As far as I'm concerned, he hasn't fallen off. It's just that he hasn't been fully available. Let's say you do that deal. And now your core, like your trio, your big three, as everyone likes to call them, Mm -hmm. 
is now Chris Paul entering his age 38 season. I think he'll be 37 for most of the year, though. Um, or did he just turn 38? I can't remember what age he He's is. old. He's older. Let's do that. <laughs> Kevin Durant's 34. Chris Paul is at least 37. Devin, Devin Booker is 26. Still yeah. Feels like he's been in the league like 10 years, but he's somehow still under 30. All right. Um, obviously, Devin is younger, but two of your key pieces, the two pieces that you are building around are now 34 plus and dealing with injuries at times, which players do at all ages. But yeah. as you get older, well, yeah, it's naturally going to happen. You said all ages. Devin Booker missed time this year. Sure did. And in the postseason. Chris sure Paul did. missed time this year. Yeah. And was not fully himself it would have seemed in the postseason Kevin Durant missed time this year and might not have been fully himself in the postseason oh and not to mention because Kevin Durant's salary is 43 million dollars and you're probably not going to be sending out at more than that Mm -hmm. you're probably going to be taking on salary meanwhile we're discussing sending away Mr. Durable Mikel Bridges played in every single game this season. There was one game where he played like fifty plus minutes against the Kings, no less. It was uh, was that an over? That was an overtime game. Mm-hmm. What well, had to have against been. the Kings, though? Yeah, like you shouldn't need Bridges for that long against the Kings. No, I mean these are all factors that go into a deal. We're specifically talking about Kevin Durant. Other players, mm-hmm. we can have totally different discussions. Look, if it's any player other than Kevin Durant, Bridges is a completely untouchable. You can't have it. Durant's the only player. Yeah. Damian Lillard? I'm not saying Portland would do that. No, 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 no. Portland, and their landscape has changed a little bit in the last week, too. Yeah, but I still think they would hold on to Dame Lillard. But what if Damian Lillard went to them? Like, like we're assuming that Kevin Durant would have to ask out of Brooklyn, right? Mm -hmm. What if Damian Lillard did that in Portland? He says, hey, you guys are doing your own thing, but uh, I'm out. And I want you to trade me to Phoenix. I don't think you have to go as far as Mikhail. No. I don't think you'd have to. I think you could get away with, like, I'm not Aiden, asking Cam Johnson and a couple firsts. I'm not asking if you would have to. I'm asking, would you? No. Okay. Stand your ground, only bitch. Kevin Durant. <laughs> well, I am standing. I like it. <laughs> but only Kevin Durant. I did notice you started standing right after you made that point. I was no leg was falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I had to wake up. Thought you were standing up for yourself. So the other thing that we're forgetting is that the Suns can't be the only team that would be interested in a Durant fallout trade. You wouldn't right? think. I mean, Adrian Wojnarowski brought it to light yesterday. What would make a potential Kevin Durant trade really unique is he's got four years left on his yeah. contract. <laughs> and that makes virtually every team in the league willing to get involved. Mm. Again, because you know if you trade for him, he has to play for you. Mm-hmm. He's got to perform. And so it opens up the, the... When a player's got one or two years left, you're limited. Teams in small markets know if we trade for him, yep. he's probably going to walk. Like to Woj's point, this isn't Kawhi Leonard getting traded to the Raptors in his final deal. The Raptors win the title and then hope to bring him back. This is not that at all. You get Durant for four years if you get him now. It's something that actually we talked a lot about with Kyrie Irving a few years back. Remember the whole thing? And there was the idea that you could move off of Josh Jackson and potentially get Kyrie Irving. And looking back, everyone and their mother would have done that. Because well, Josh, Josh Jackson, Jackson or yeah. Kyrie Irving. Hmm. Right. In hindsight, being 2020, yeah, anybody would do that. Yes. But we talked about it then. Kyrie Irving would be coming to a bad team, which is what Phoenix was at the time. He'd be coming to a bad team mm-hmm. with an expiring contract in the near future. And why would you give up all the assets? Forget about the fact that it was Josh Jackson and what he is now, Mm -hmm. or rather what he's not. Would you really do that deal knowing that he could just up and leave and 
six months to a year or a year and a half, even if you have two years on your deal. Most teams would say no. In the NBA, players have so much power in where they go and who they play for, or if they even play when they get there. Look at Ben Simmons. Or even Kyrie Irving missed half the season because of his own health choices. I agree with Woj there. Four years on the Durant contract makes it that much more appealing because you know if he's here, he's invested because he's already got that contract. Like, think about it. Oklahoma City has just a mountain of future assets. They could be the ones pushing for this. And then they get Durant for four years. Twilight of his career plays it out. Gets to be back where it all started. Maybe gets to help lead a group of young guys to their first ring. I don't know how that would work. Because, again, you have to salary match. So, to some degree, Oklahoma City would have to send out pretty much everybody they have on the roster. But, like, who is Oklahoma City spending money on? Not a lot of people. Exactly. Well, but that's my point. How are you going to match? How are you going to match in a trade, though? Because they would have to send out, I mean, he's making $43 million. You would have to send out, like, at least, I don't know what the exact number is, but let's say $35 plus million. Do you have all those contracts sitting around for one player? You could throw all the picks you want in there, but maybe, you still got a salary. Maybe match. they should try to get Kemba Walker out of Detroit oh, and boy. then send that contract there. That would oh, be fun. Oh, boy. Coming up next, Alec Thomas can accomplish something no Diamondback ever has. Really? What is it? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Ferreldis with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for spending part of your weekend here with us. Uh, one of the headlines at ArizonaSports.com. Go check it out. D-backs outfielder Alec Thomas making an early case for NL Rookie of the Year. Mitch, you and I were both at the Diamondbacks game last night. As was Trevor. As uh, as was Trevor. Trevor and the fam had a I, good night. Got a good win out of his Detroit Tigers. It was surprising. That's the girls' first baseball game, and they loved it. Really? Yeah. First game. Wow. Good for them. I'm glad they had a good time. Yeah, we got to put that in the routine now. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> I saw Trev games. at the game. He came to say hi to me. You did not. So. I was, well, yeah. <laughs> you looked busy. I looked busy? Oh, I don't come know. On. <laughs> come on. I'm making excuses. No busier obviously. than I am right now. That's true. Um, but Alec Thomas has been a nice, uh, I don't want to say surprise, but you know he is a rookie. I think we knew this was his talent. And Mike Hazen even said, I believe two weeks ago when he was with Wolf and Luke, that we're seeing his floor right now. Like, if if this is Alec Thomas's floor, and this is a pretty productive start for him, if this is just his floor... I can only imagine what his ceiling would be in like a couple of years. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of upside there, and he's already performing well. Mm-hmm. And also, too, it comes with context that the Diamondbacks haven't really had a good, true center fielder in a while. I mean, just looking back at the last handful of years, Dalton Varsho was playing a lot of center field, mm-hmm. and maybe he still will play some center field going forward. Right. Um, but I don't love that. I think he's a much better corner outfielder, and he's been a decent enough backup catcher whenever Carson Kelly's been out. But I didn't love Dalton Varsho in center field. They had Starling Marte, who's a great center fielder. They had him for about a month yeah. <laughs> before they traded him. The weird season. Halfway through the 2020 shortened season. A.J. Pollock was here for a while. Yeah. Not the best defensively, but he was a trusted hitter. And not often available. I mean... I'm thinking what else? Ender Enciarte? 
uh, Gerardo that, that Parra. Way that was a ways back, but yeah, I mean, like they so like had, dating back to Chris Young. They haven't really had a solid, what I would consider a solid, solid center fielder since Chris Young. Again, Marte was good, but also remember too, Cattell Marte played center for a hot minute. Nah. And he's a great player, but uh, the center field nah. was not great. Yeah, he made it clear he didn't like it out there. So I really love, I really love the fit for Alec Thomas now. I think what's kind of fortunate for him in terms of this uh, NL Rookie of the Year, whether or not he's going to win it, mm-hmm. I don't know that he's the leading candidate, but uh, it's certainly up for discussion. One thing that's helping him out is that a lot of the biggest rookies who made their clubs out of spring training this year are in the American League. I mean, I think of uh, Bobby Witt Jr. is certainly a big-name prospect, because Alec Thomas was not a can't-miss prospect. He's a good one in this yeah. organization, but he's not a top ten position player in the game of baseball. Yeah. So you said Bobby Witt, Bobby Julio Witt Rodriguez in Seattle, Julio Rodriguez, who's been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I would throw Spencer Torkelson, who we saw last night, and in they the just mix. called up Riley Green as Riley well in Green's Detroit. In the mix. Yeah. A lot These of these are all uh, AL guys. Very American League heavy. So that might play a role in Alec Thomas's ability to win the National League Rookie of the Year. And I would think his competition is. I mean, his competition's strong. I don't think it's going to make it difficult for him to win, though. Who's on that list? I took a um, I took a screenshot. Our partners at FanDuel okay. actually have the National League Rookie of the Year odds. And in fairness to the great week that O'Neill Cruz has had, his his odds have shot up tremendously. O'Neill Cruz is leading. He's tied with Mackenzie Gore, actually, of the Padres at plus four fifty to win the award. Yeah, and those are two really exciting players. Obviously, one's a pitcher, one's a shortstop. Key positions definitely play a role in these things, too. Alec Thomas is tied for the eighth best odds on this current list at plus 2,000. Who else is on there? So it's O'Neill Cruz and Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. The Pirates shortstop and the Padres starting pitcher. And then also center fielder for the Braves, Michael Harris. Second baseman, Nolan Gorman, is at plus 480. Spencer Strider, the Braves starters at a, at plus a thousand. Jack Sawinski, the Pirates outfielders at plus fifteen hundred. Seiya Suzuki, the Cubs outfielders at plus eighteen hundred. And then it's Alec Thomas at two thousand with Brendan Donovan, the Cardinals shortstop. And these things are so fickle too, because remember at the beginning of the season, the first couple of weeks, Suzuki was far and away the front runner because he was performing so well. He had a great April, and then he got hurt and disappeared. But then naturally, too, as seasons move along, and as we get in towards the end of June now, and we move towards July, if you're going to win Rookie of the Year, you need to be up by now. and Or right around now. That's just history speaking. That's just natural. You, you can't come up in August and win the award. That's usually not how it goes. No, it doesn't happen that often. So... We're looking at the crop right now of who could win Rookie of the Year, and Alec Thomas is certainly in the mix. He's not known as an overly offensive player. Uh, for instance, the Diamondbacks have another center fielder coming up the system named Corbin Carroll, who mm-hmm. arguably might be the top prospect in baseball He's right now. He's destroying double A as we speak. Unbelievably. He's got like 16 or 17 home runs. He's got a ton of triples, which are even harder to hit than right. home runs. Right. He plays a solid center field. He's fast. He's not overly big, but he's got the he's got power in his swing. And so they've got a guy who's even better than Alec Thomas on the way. I'll say that. And to see them both in the outfield in the near future will be awesome. Will just be incredible. And so I I, I don't know. I was at the game last night and mm-hmm. just look out and see Varsho and right because we were sitting in right field to see Varsho there and then Alec Thomas in center. It just gave me a nice little boost of confidence 
in the future for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, that's kind of what Mike Hazen was brought in to do, right? Was to help rebuild the farm system. And I don't know off the top of my head if he specifically drafted these talents, but to be able to build a farm system that's centered around Thomas and Corbin Carroll and Geraldo Perdomo's had a slow offensive start, but he's still providing a pretty good shortstop defensively right now. Alec Thomas was drafted in 2018, so yes. He okay, so been, that is Hazen regime. He would have been drafted by Hazen, and Corbin Carroll definitely was. And they even have Jordan Lawler, who is a top six pick that they've got on the way. They're going to have the second overall pick in this upcoming draft. I think Jordan Lawler just came back from injury. Like, the Diamondbacks the are day. set up for the future because of the drafting decisions that Mike Hazen has made. And so far, so good. Yeah, they're gonna, it's gonna start to come to fruition. It's hard being a GM in that way because you make your first pick. Like, for instance, Mike Hazen's first first round pick was, do you know? I don't. Paven Smith. Paven oh. Smith was Mike Hazen's first first round pick. Okay. As, as the man- general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'll be honest, I'm not as excited as hearing that answer as I thought I would be. No, I know. I w- it wasn't meant to be exciting, but it's a player that's made it to the major leagues already. Sure. So it's starting to come to fruition. My point being, when you're a GM, especially in baseball, these things take time. You don't just draft a guy number one overall like Kyler Murray and he plays week one. You know not what I mean? Not in baseball, no. No, it doesn't happen in baseball. Or not very often, at least. So, yeah, you get these guys in 2018, 2017, 2019 who are going to start to come up over the next year or two. And that's going to define your tenure more so than how you've performed in the last couple of seasons, which is underwhelming, to say the least. And I think circling it back to our topic of conversation, Alec Thomas winning Rookie of the Year sets up for a very hopeful future of this organization. Like, as we teased, no Diamondback has ever won Rookie of the Year. For Alec Thomas to do it and to be the first to do it, it sets up for what could be a great trajectory, not only for his career, but for the team. Do I think he's going to win Rookie of the Year? No, I do not. Okay. Because offensively, he's just not, he's not Corbin Carroll. He's not a stud offensive player. He's good. He's, he can hold his own offensively. I will say, he's middle of the pack. He's well of rounded. The current rookies up right now. He's well rounded as a center fielder. And it's such a key position that you've been missing for so long mm-hmm. that I'm okay with him not winning Rookie of the Year. I don't care about that. What I care about is that the Diamondbacks appear to have a stud center fielder for the time being until Carroll gets here. Maybe he takes over center, maybe vice versa. I don't know. But I'll bet you one of those guys that you mentioned, O'Neill Cruz or Mackenzie Gore's been a top pitching prospect for a couple of like years for now. years, yeah. And it's finally coming to fruition in the major leagues. One of those guys will win Rookie of the Year. But the Diamondbacks will have a player that's established now and is going to have most of a season under his belt as they become more competitive. And I'll take that any day of the week. Small victories. They lead to big ones. Coming up next, not a victory for DeAndre Hopkins. He was suspended for the first six weeks of the season. But now he's telling us a little bit more about what he got popped for. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports goes local. It's Arizona Sports Saturday, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. Half hour left on this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday. 
A lot of news surrounding the Phoenix Suns this week, of course, with the NBA draft, trade rumors, sign-in trade rumors. Charity softball games. Yeah, 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 all the good stuff. And there was one Cardinals-related story, speaking of that softball game, to come out of that this week. And that was because DeAndre Hopkins took part in JaVale McGee's celebrity softball game. And he was asked, naturally enough, about his suspension. And we have gotten a little more clarity now as to what got him suspended. Here's D Hop. No, it wasn't on me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a natural, um, I'm pretty much a naturopathic kind of person, man. Uh, you know, and what it was, it was called osteoid. Uh, it was 0.1% of it found in my system, uh, which is, you know, uh, you know what that is. You know, it's, it's contamination, not something directly taken. Okay, so it's a little hard to hear with all the voices, but the key takeaways are osterin is the drug or the illegal substance that he got popped for. And then the other standout part of it to me was 0.1%, which I guess is enough to get you suspended for six games. Yeah, so I think his point there is I didn't take Austrian. I got contaminated with Austrian. He, he went on to say that in this next quote. I don't take any supplements. Uh, I've never taken supplements. Uh, I don't, I barely take vitamins. You know, so, uh, for something like that to happen, to, uh, you know, to me, obviously, you know, I was shocked, but, you know, my team and I, we're still, you know, trying to, you know, figure out what's going on. Because you had said that earlier, right? That, that's where you're at at this point. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, and I can take this, you know, made a lot of techniques, you know, but, you know, yeah, you know, that's, that's who I am. It is what it is. I could take lie detectors, but it is who I am. The all-natural yeah, guy, DeAndre Hopkins. I don't need him to take a lie detector test. I, I, I'm i not even one of the people holding his feet to the fire saying, like, did you do it or did you not? Look, like, he's, I, I don't care. He's doing the Andy Pettit. He's like, oh, yeah, I got caught, guys. Sorry, I was trying to speed up my recovery, and this is what happened. And I, listen, he, he could be telling the entire truth, and, and that's fine. It, it doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is that the Cardinals are going to be without him for six weeks. Yes. And what do you do for six weeks without your best offensive player, at that position, at least. Well, is he so the best offensive player total? I mean, Ky- Kyler probably is up there, too. I mean, that's its own discussion. But I think the easy answer to the question of what are they going to do without DeAndre Hopkins? Well, they traded for it. They traded for Marquise Brown. Yeah. It wasn't just that. In the second round, they drafted the best tight end available. Yeah. In Trey McBride. So they do have offensive weapons that can help mitigate the lack of Hopkins. They're not depleted. No. Is the point. No, 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 no. And we just had a conversation last hour about how how deep the running back room is and that maybe they should even make that their central focus for the first six weeks. The point I was trying to make earlier was because you have such a deep running back room, you have James Conner back who scored 15 touchdowns last year. I could see him being a thousand yard rusher. You've got Daryl Williams you just signed from Kansas City. He has been a thousand yard rusher before. Um, You also have a rookie in Ingram who you just drafted who, I mean, you could probably rely on him in a third role. Mm -hmm. You have Eno Benjamin, who has played the third role before, and we've had discussions about him stepping up into a bigger role. I don't even know if that's possible now that you have three guys that I like better than him, but but I love him in a fourth role, and Jonathan Ward, who's also a good uh, special teams player as well. So I feel better about that room than I probably ever have for the Cardinals, maybe since David Johnson. Because of the elite status that he held in this league as a running back. My point is, could you build the identity of the offense around the running game from the get-go, from the start of the season, so that when you get Hopkins back, he's a bonus to you, not a, hey, 
we're just going to be without our best player in the in the passing game for six weeks, and we just gotta we just gotta stay afloat. Instead of staying afloat, I mean, like attack, yeah, go at it, build an identity without him, and then when he gets there, it's a bonus. It's not like you got your left leg back. And you know how I mean? how rewarding would it feel to get through that early gauntlet you have in the season of Kansas City at home, Vegas on the road, and the Rams at home to be able to get through that? And then welcome back DeAndre Hopkins for Thursday night against the Saints. That has to feel like motivation, right? It's you're setting a goal yourself for yourself. You want to run a marathon, let's say. So you're setting a goal for yourself every single day as you're prepping for this marathon. All right, I'm going to add on an extra mile. I'm going to add on an extra mile. Add on an extra mile so that you can get to that point that you fully complete the 26.2 miles, right? For the Cardinals, it's okay. I want the offense to be like this. Now, let's add this little wrinkle, and let's add this little wrinkle. And then, next thing you know, six weeks later, oh, that's right, we've got DeAndre Hopkins now. Yeah, We can do everything that we want to do. Because you, you brought up an interesting question last hour, um, because you mentioned that DeAndre Hopkins can still practice. He could still, I believe he could still play in the preseason. But how much of that time are you willing to give to him and devote to melding him into your offensive identity when you could be building an identity without him that you're going to rely upon for the first six weeks. The first month and a half of the season, you're going to be without him. Mm-hmm. So how much time are you really willing to build around him in the offseason, in the, or in, the in, in camp and in the preseason? I would rather build an identity without him, not to say that we're ignoring him or that we're casting no. him aside. No, it's just, dude. Listen, you're not going to be here for six weeks. You can still practice with us and things, but we need to figure out a plan that works without you. You're not running with the ones, right? Because you're not going to be available. And DeAndre Hopkins, let's be honest, he doesn't need the practice. <laughs> He's <laughs> what was the what was the big argument when he first got here? He was always taking Wednesdays off. Yeah, no, he doesn't need to be out there to like mesh with the offense. No. I think I think they can figure it out when he comes back, right? So if he doesn't need the practice and you need to build an identity without him, then go and do that. Right. And by the way, there's no indication that the Cardinals are not planning on doing this. I'm just saying this is what I would do. I mean, here's the response. Cliff Kingsbury, this was on June 15th. So this is 10 days ago. He was asked specifically in regards to Hollywood Brown if his role would change once DeAndre Hopkins comes back. Yeah, no, I I think, you know, Hop is such a dynamic playmaker that when he gets back, we'll, we'll kind of see where we're at, how it's been going, who's playing the best, where, and, and adjust from there. But uh, I think we'll have a plan going in um, where we want guys to start positionally and then go from there. <laughs> so they're very self-aware that we, well, we need to have a plan together going we'll in, out. right? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, it would have been really stupid for Kingsbury right there to be like, yeah, so in weeks one through six, uh, Hollywood Brown is going to be playing on the left side only, and he's only going to run these... Like, well, you know I what don't I mean? think he was going to telegraph that much. No, I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't give out the plan even if they have one, which mm-hmm. they do. By now, they've come up with that plan. They yes. just have to implement it in training camp and in the, in the preseason. And again, these are things that we don't even see in preseason games. We talk about it every year. How much are they really going to show of their true identity? I don't think they're going to show a lot. <laughs> because we don't know a lot about their identity. Last preseason, they didn't show much of anything. They went 0 for 9, remember? Well, yeah. That was a miserable showing by the first team. All I'm saying is, I think you have to build an identity without Hopkins so that when he comes back, you can exactly what he just said. We'll figure it out. 
We'll figure it out. And He's I mean, a Hall heck, of Fame caliber player. We'll figure it out. Heck, if anything, because he missed a good amount of games last year, it was almost as if they didn't have a backup plan if Hop was going to be out. Right. Now they can precursor that, right? Instead of instead of dealing with the unknown of like, oh, well, what happens if DeAndre Hopkins goes out and, oh, we don't have a plan, and then you just crumble down the rest of the season. Now you're it's the opposite. You're starting knowing that you won't have DeAndre Hopkins and then can just add him in later when he's ready to go. Are you more concerned about six weeks without Hopkins or the potential of 17 weeks without Rodney Hudson? I'm not saying that Rodney Hudson is def- definitively out or retiring or whatever, but something's going on where he didn't show up to camp and we don't know why. We don't know why. It could and be we nothing. We still don't know why. It could be nothing. It could be dramatic. It could be a retirement. It could be an early retirement. The speculation leans retirement. The speculation leans he wants a new contract, which is weird because he's only in the second year of a three-year deal after the Cardinals were able to trade for him. He's pretty well paid, too. Uh, yeah, he's making, what is it, 10 this year? It's not like he's on a rookie deal like no. Tyler and wants to be paid what all the no, other quarterbacks no. are making. No, and he's one of the best centers in the league still. My, I think my greater concern is if they have no Rodney Hudson, it's who do they have else Wise. Otherwise. Kind of feels like Justin Pugh is considering the move to center. Which, like, great. So now we're considering just kind of shifting people around instead of a... And I mean, how aggressively can they look for a Hudson replacement if they don't know... Or, I should say, if they won't tell us what is going on with Hudson. That's what's so infuriating about this story to me. is, is, So the last center you had was Mason Cole. Couldn't cut it. It doesn't nope. make him a bad person. Doesn't make him a bad football no, just, player. Just he, just he was cut the it. worst center statistically in the league. He just couldn't cut it. That's fine. Before that, you had AQ Shipley. He was on uh, Big Red Rage this week, by the way. But mm-hmm. um, he was solid. He was good at all of the things that it takes to be a center. He was good at the mental part of the game, the getting guys set up. Guys respected him. He was a good team leader. But let's face it, he was not the biggest, and he was not the most athletically gifted. Mm-hmm. But he was good. He was right. solid. He was a guy you could count on. He just wasn't Rodney Hudson. Talent level. So when you were looking for that center to support your young quarterback in Kyler Murray and this offense that's trying to find their identity, they go out and make the trade for the perfect center in Rodney Hudson. Yep. And this is a year ago, by the way. Yeah. Like, this was not long ago. They made a great trade to get Rodney Hudson, who, by... A lot of rankings was the best, most well-rounded center. Good at pass pro. Uh, also good in the run game. You solved that problem a year ago, and now we have to worry about it again? It's like, great. That's what's infuriating Just about another it. thing, another wrinkle. You mentioned A.Q. Shipley. He was on Big Red Rage on Thursday with Paul Calvisi and Rob Fredrickson. And because Justin Pugh had put it out there that he was getting some reps at center, they asked A.Q., well, how difficult is it for other linemen to have to play center? It's so funny to me to sit there and think that it, it's going to be easier when you got one hand between your legs. You got to make all the, all the mental calls. You got to get everybody on the right page. Sometimes, you know, if the quarterback's got his plate full with knowing all the pass game stuff, now you're in charge of all the run checks. And, you know, there's so many different nuances that the center has to be able to help out, not only amongst the offensive line, but amongst the whole group. So the question then is, is it easier to teach the talent to play offensive line or is it easier to teach the mental aspect of the game that AQ's talking about? My guess is he would say it's probably easier to 
teach the like it's easier to find a guy who's talented like if you have a talented lineman yes they're going to struggle in a new spot but they're not they're not untalented at other positions on the line well it this isn't to say that it takes less mental capacity to play tackle or guard than mm-hmm. center but center comes with some things that he just mentioned that the other positions don't necessarily have to worry about hey i've only got one hand to block with instead of two <laughs> Hey, I got to transition the the football from me to that guy on every play no matter what we're doing or who's lining up across from me. Also too, you're getting a different set of players that are pass rushing him than the outside. I'm right. not dealing with an outside pass rusher who might be, I don't know, 250 or less. I'm dealing with a 380 pound I don't know, I'm just making up a name. Like you're dealing with Aaron Donald. I was going to say like you get Aaron Donald twice this year and you want to put a second-rate center up I against think, that. I think AQ even mentioned a 380-pound Vita Vea. He's like, I'm yeah. dealing with that. Right. And it's not to say that's harder. It's just there's other aspects of playing center. So, yeah, it's a good point. It's going to be hard to train someone else to play center. Coming up next, has DeAndre Ayton's market soured? And if so, what made it so sour? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. <laughs> 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. Final segment of Arizona Sports Saturday here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Mitch Vereldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. So the DeAndre Ayton question. If it's a big one. It's, it's a, big, a big one. If you're the Suns, the question is, do you bring him back? Ooh. First and foremost. The other question surrounding DeAndre Ayton is, what is his market? Who's going to be aggressively trying to get him? And the reason that I teased it as has his market soured was because it looked like the front runner has now turned Ayton into the alternative. Let me explain. The Detroit Pistons had the fifth overall pick heading into draft night, and they had just traded away Jeremy Grant to Portland, clearing up what would what amounts to $43 million. In cap space for this upcoming season. Plenty of money to get a max center, right? They get Jaden Ivey at five. I say get because he basically fell into their laps. And then later on in the draft, they traded to get the 13th selection, center Jaden Duran. Ooh, center. Center. Okay. With a lottery pick, no less. Doesn't take you out of the running for Aiton, but it doesn't increase the chances. Exactly. So then you start to wonder, all right, well, what does Aiton have left? San Antonio? Atlanta? Like, who's going to want Aiton now? Is he just going to be, and I hate to phrase it this way, because he played well enough for them last year, but is he just stuck with the Suns? I heard an interesting idea earlier this week. I don't know if this is even feasible. You know how the Utah Jazz are going through something right now? Like they they've got two star players, right? Donovan it's, Mitchell. It's definitely and, something. And Rudy Gobert, their coach left, and they don't. Yeah, and their coach left, and and the two players don't like each other, and they both think they're the future of the franchise, but only one it's of them messy. will stay. If it's if, messy, if, if any of them, I heard. I think it was on the Bill Simmons podcast. I can't remember, but okay. I think it was there where that the idea was. Oh, did they suggest a sign and trade Aiton for Gobert? Basically. And then it would probably take some other pieces because Gobert is Gobert's getting paid forty a year. Yeah, he's making Kevin Durant money, but he's Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's a defensive yeah, no, player if year anything, candidate every year. If anything, Gobert's probably would thank his lucky stars to get to go to a much better defensive team. If you could somehow find a way to do an Aiton and not any other significant piece, like not a Bridges, not a Cam Johnson. If you could find other contracts to help match draft picks and may I don't I don't know how interested you are in moving picks at this point for Gobert, but would you do that deal? And essentially a one-for-one Aiton for Gobert. I know you can't make a one-for-one work perfectly, but if that's what it was, would you do that? Because Utah's trying to figure out their situation. I'm sure they would love to have Aiton as a fit. And Phoenix is a competitive team that would be adding one of the five best defensive players in the league with another five top five defensive player you already have. I think there's two arguments. There is the... Is Rudy Gobert going to be better than what we are getting out of DeAndre Ayton? I think that's the obvious question, number one. So, like, in layman's terms, is Gobert better than Ayton? Yes or no? You have to figure that out first. Defensively, absolutely. Offensively, no. Then, But you, have- you wouldn't have to ask him to be a, as big of a part of the offense as Ayton wants to be. Sure. Rudy Gobert is not demanding that. Presumably. Well, but he helps down low, and Chris Paul loves to feed guys down low. He's like the perfect, he'll be a perfect pick-and-roll combo for Paul. But that leads to the second question. Okay. We mentioned 40 mil a year. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Versus what Aiton would probably get from the Suns, which is, you know, probably about 10 million less. Would you rather pay for a Gobert or would you rather pay for Aiton? Uh, you got to pay for one of them if you're making that deal. I would rather have Aiton with, because that gives you a little bit more flexibility. Not a lot, granted, because this team is I mean, pushing the salary. They're going into the tax. Either way in this yeah. situation. So I think you'd probably rather have Aiton and have somewhat more flexibility for the players around you rather than having to give up players and get a more expensive Gobert. That contract makes it really difficult to want Gobert. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying like one for one talent wise, it would like if the contracts weren't an issue and they always are, but if they weren't an issue, I think both teams would consider making that deal. A one for one center swap where we get one of the best defensive players in the world and they get a young up and coming star center who they're not mad at or they're not having a divorce with. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, but the contracts make it so much more difficult because Rudy Gobert's not worth forty million a year, but he's a damn good center defensively. Defensively, definitely, he'll get rebounds. I mean, what was the connection about if they were going to send eight into Indiana? They wanted Sabonis because Sabonis just eats up boards for lunch. You get the same thing out of Gobert. Gobert averages like 15 boards a game. Yeah. So you'll have an upgrade in that regard because what was Aiton's biggest issue is that he wasn't there all that much to clean up the boards, offensively or defensively. He'd get to that 10. He'd average around that 10 mark, but like, was he trying? Was he just, it was just happenstance? And one of the biggest questions we have this offseason about Aiton is, does he want more offensively? Does he want more touches? Does he want more shots? Does he want to be a central focus? I think last week you were asking me about, does he want to be the primary option in this Suns offense? Mm-hmm. Which is never going to happen with Devin Booker here. It He probably doesn't even get as much attention as Chris Paul will next season offensively if he's here. Mm-hmm. Whereas Rudy Gobert has a much more defined role. And he's much more established in his role in the NBA. And he's not going to come in and ask to be the primary offensive weapon because he's not an offensive weapon. Never has been. He fits perfectly in the role that I would love to. Ha- I would love to have an elite defensive center who doesn't 
ask for the basketball on offense, but can still contribute to the movement of the ball and, and the offensive strategy. Mm-hmm. I would love to have that. It's not for 40 to $45 million a year. Well, it's an impossible contract. If he moves the ball as well as he does, and this team loves to kick out to open shooters, yeah. and you've got Cam Johnson, you got Booker, you got McHale, and maybe if you can find somebody on the cheap to fill that extra spot, because you can never have too much shooting. In this league. Yeah. The Warriors have taught us that time and time again another in the aspect, Steph Curry era. Another aspect of that, though, is they went out and got Landry Shamit, which I liked. You and I both liked that at the time. Perfect role player for this team. Mm-hmm. Then they gave him a bunch of money before they even played him. I won't say a bunch. They gave him too much. Four years, 40. For a role for player what they got, who barely played much. in the playoffs. It's too much. It's a bunch of money. All right, all right. It's a bunch of money. We're, spl- we're splitting hairs, but continue. For him, it's a bunch of money. And that doesn't kick in, I don't think, until either this season or next. So, like, it, it's 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 kind of down the road. Like, his salary now is tolerable, but it, it'll, it's, it'll bump up. It's one of those contracts where the front office was clearly eyes forward and tunnel vision. They're like, we want to get Landry Shamit. We've been trying to get Landry Shamit, and now we're going to keep Landry Shamit before we even know what he's actually capable of doing for us. Right, and my point isn't that he's not worth the money. My point is that they're not using him nearly enough for him to be worth that money. Nope. That he didn't play in the postseason. He like, wasn't if you're going to pay him that enough. money, he's got to be your sixth man, but you already have a sixth man in Cam Johnson. And it's tough, too, because Landry Shamit plays the position that Devin Booker plays. Yep. Are you really going to take Devin Booker off the floor? Because Shamit's not, he doesn't really play the three. He's not a playmaking guard. He's not by my estimation, so he's not a point not guard. The best, but he can if asked. But it's a fail. It's a fail safe. So if you're playing Booker forty plus minutes a game in the postseason, what's the point of having Shamit on a high paying contract? You see what I'm saying? Like that's another difficult aspect of right. roster building is that his salary is going to bump up down the road, and it makes things a little bit more difficult. Well, if you can find a way to move Dario Saric, freeze up some money. It's an expiring contract. Then you have literally no bigs on this roster. Well, if they He's just, the only one left. Look, if they just want to run point five and run small, they can do that. Right? Yeah, but even like look at a team that did that, the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, like, by my estimation, you're gonna need somebody to play the big spot. Well, they just traded for Christian Wood, but it sounds like he's gonna come off the bench. That, that's my point though, is even the Mavericks are admitting that we needed a big guy. We and they were small, they were in the we still and, need one. They were in the eight and race, and then they're like, oh wait. We can pay this guy a lot less, and it's a expiring contract, so we don't have to keep him if it doesn't work out. Crazy concept, I swear. To your original point about Aiton, I, maybe it's not Detroit anymore. Maybe they're out of it because they drafted a center. It doesn't mean they're out of it necessarily, but it's less likely to happen now. I am interested to know what other teams, and, and you even talked about earlier, Bobby Mark said, what if they just tell Aiton to go find the trade? You go find it. Let us know. Maybe then he'll find his max deal. It's what he's wanted all along. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the show this Saturday. We really appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. For Mitch Vareldis, for Trevor Henry, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday.